you know, if this is a very LA specific thing where like that's kind of social life here. Um, it's a double-edged sword for sure, but business and pleasure mix very significantly. And it's just, I've accepted that that's part of the job. Hello and welcome to Here in LA, Beachwood Canyon edition. Today, we talk with Katie Bain. Katie's the director of dance and electronic music at Billboard magazine. She grew up in Wisconsin, got her journalism degree over by there, moved out to LA at 23, ended up at Metromix, which is what the cool kids nightlife spin-off to the LA Times was, and then her career just exploded. Since then, she's interviewed tons of your favorite artists. She's gone to all the festivals, even one on a boat, and recently even took her mom to a, a festival in the woods. Her mom! The Baines are third-generation Green Bay Packer co-owners, something we will definitely get into. And if we're lucky, she'll tell us if Lenny Kravitz is really all the things that we hope he is. So let's welcome Katie Bain. Hey, everybody. I'm in Beachwood Canyon. You are in Beachwood Canyon. With the amazing Katie Bain. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm here, too. I feel like you put on a nice blouse for me. (laughs) When I think of Katie Bain, I think of this, like, flower girl with, like, flowing dresses. You got me. I've never worn this top before. Did you go to Anthropology just to buy new no, clothes? No, I got it at Crossroads a while ago. I've just never worn it. Well, so it looks thank, great on you. Thank you for noticing my top. Of course, yeah. of course. So we are in beautiful Beachwood Canyon. How long have you lived here? I have lived here for, it'll be three years in September. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been a minute. And uh, through DM, you said you might be wanting to move sometime. Has that changed? Oh, you know, I'm always looking around. You are? I have, I, I love this place. I love this apartment, but I have the dream of a yard uh, oh. and s- some green space. And so I, you know, I'm always keeping my eye out for what's out there. But that's very, you know, very casual. But it's not impossible in LA. It's not impossible. It's not impossible if, if your mind is wide and you don't have to live in Hollywood. And I certainly don't have to live in Hollywood. It's sort of weird to me that I do. What would you do in this backyard of yours? I would sit in the sun. I would drink coffee in the morning. I would lay down. I would read a book. I would probably work out there. I would just like I would just hang out. I just like to be outside. You have always been a journalist. Pretty much. I've had, you know, like odd jobs here and there. But basically, since I moved to L.A., I've been writing. OK, let's talk about that. Um, people are, people complain that I give people's backstories at the top of the show and they don't like that. And I'm like, when would they rather have it? Right. <laughs> I don't right. I, I mean, it's all a build up, especially those of us who moved out here to LA. Yeah. Which is not easy for a lot of people to do. Sure. I know of a lot, including my sister moved here for a little while and got the hell back home and that was it. My sister did the same thing. Did she? She was here for less than a year, just as an experiment. She didn't like it, and she left. And now mm-hmm. she's back in Wisconsin. That, to me, I've been here for 15 years, uh, was never, obviously, my experience or part of my li- line of thinking. Are you a Wisconsin Badger? I am. Okay, so you went to school in Madison. Yes. Which is a party school, right? Yes. But it's also an academically rigorous institution. Oh. And a party school. Yeah, we do both. Um, did you guys drink Old Style at this uh, campus? Was Schlitz more the beer? Schlitz was the beer. There was a beer called, is it Red Dog? Oh. Uh, Ice House? Yep. Uh, Natty Light. Yes. Natural Light was kind of the one. And also... Um, PBR, of course. And then what's the champagne of beers? Miller High Life. Miller High Life was always my favorite. (laughs) Were you a beer person in college? Absolutely. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, I was a beer person. I'm still kind of a beer person. Mm -hmm. I worked at a brewery right after college, so I got like a beer education. In Wisconsin? In in Madison. Which one? It's called the Great Dane. Shout out to the Great Dane because I met like a lot of great friends there. Uh, Made, you know, 
by my standards then a ton of money and had a lot of fun. Is it a microbrewery? Is it a, a yeah? Real? It's a, they've got locations around Madison and a few like beyond and points beyond in Wisconsin, and then they do they ship. Uh, huh. I think across the states. I mean, really, like check it out. It's really good beer. Okay. Yeah. So you had you had a good job. I had a great job. Yes, I did. Did did the did the nice Dane people let you take the beer home if you wanted? I lived next door. <laughs> so. Okay, you live next door to a brewery. I live next door to my job, uh, which was really convenient. So you didn't have to ride your bike. You could just walk. I literally just walked. There were days where I would forget, like, you know, my, my waitressing apron, and I would just walk home and walk back. It was two minutes. It was it was a, one of the most fun years of my life, because we had just graduated college. We had this somehow, like, sick apartment that we got, my best friend and I, and you know, we were free and we were going out all the time because we were children and it was really fun. And you decided, screw this, I'm moving to LA. I did because I was, I was bored mm. and I think part of me knew that I didn't want to get stuck there mm-hmm. uh, and that it would be an easy thing to do given how much fun it was and how great the people were and, you know, like I said, the money and like it would... I, I could still be there and there mm-hmm. would be nothing wrong with that. But I just knew that like that wasn't my my end goal. Yeah. I was also interning at the Wisconsin State Journal at the time. Ooh. Yeah. I got twenty five dollars a week hey. and I actually had some good stories. I had like a few cover stories while I was there and I decided I always knew growing up I would move to a big city. I always assumed it was New York. But then it was L.A. because I met some people at Bonnaroo that were like, hey, we live in L.A. Uh, and that's, that's, that's all he took. That's what brought me west. Yes. If those people weren't cool, you probably wouldn't have come. Probably not. Wow. Yeah. So. Festies did it to you. Fest the Bonnaroo, two thousand six, seven. Let's talk about Midwestern nice. <laughs> I think Midwesterners are nice and perfect. <laughs> and I want to ask you about that. Okay. Why do you think we're like that for the most part? Now, of course, Al Capone was from the Midwest. Not nice. Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Wisconsiner. Yeah, it was Milwaukee guy. We, we had Gacy. Yes, we did have like some remarkably <laughs> not nice people. It's like they like, we really had to balance the scales <laughs> with a bunch of serial killers. I, I used to say that we're friendly because when the weather kicks your ass, mm. you are forced to be inside a lot. Mm-hmm. And who's inside but other people? Sure. And so you learn to cope with these other people. Yeah. It's either there's usually drinks involved. Sure. Fattening foods. And you just learn to be cool. But when it's super warm, it's easier to be alone and not gain social skills when you're young. Sure. Right. Um, that's an interesting theory. I, I don't. I don't have a theory of my own. I've never really considered. I mean, it's probably just at this point a breeding thing. You know, like right. we do it because our parents were like that and their parents were like that. And it's just like a churn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I think the Midwest in many areas, um, certainly compared to L.A., is easier to be in on a logistical level. Like yeah. you, you can park anywhere and there's no traffic <laughs> and things are cheaper. And like those types of things engender niceness. You're in a, you're in a better mood when you haven't been driving around looking for a parking spot for 20 minutes. We would both have houses if we lived in the Midwest. We would have such nice houses. I would have a huge fucking yard. And I'd have a huge fucking basement. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be down there. I'd be outside. I know. But I mean, do you think about that though? Like All the time. All the time. My sister has 11 acres and like a three bedroom house. And I'm like, I'm not going to give financial details, but she pays less than what I pay in rent here. What does she do with these 11 acres? She has horses. Yeah, so she has three horses, and wow. um, then it's just a lot of woods. You know, like we go back down, we go back to cut down our Christmas tree. And ah, see? It's, it's very sweet. That's what it's about. Yeah. I think, though, that my life would be a thousand percent different. I would have season tickets to the Bears. We'll talk about the Packers very soon. Great. Um, I'd probably have season tickets to the Cubs, too. Yes. And I'd probably weigh twice as much as I already do, which is already too much. But do you think that now, knowing what you know about, you know, 
weight management and whatever. You could go back and be happy? As a fat person? No, I'm just saying like what you've learned in terms of the California lifestyle and how to take care of yourself. Like, do you see yourself ever living in the Midwest ever again, given that it is easier in those ways? I would love to live in the Midwest again. Yeah. No way. <laughs> There's but, no way. But why? Because you, 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 of the weather. You, you know too much. I feel like once you've like had the culture of a big city. Not it's... only do I know too much, but... I know you can be broke in LA and be just as happy as having a hundred acres in sure. L- in Chicago. Sure. And so I think that that's what, when people move out here and they get sticker shock about how much rent costs and all this other stuff that they need to, well, they don't need to, but it's nice to learn that you can cope no matter where you live. That's true. I've, I've been mega broke here and I've always had a really good time. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you decide to move to L.A. Yes. Where do you land in L.A.? Oh, my God. (laughs) I live downtown Mm -hmm. on Hope Street. Do you know Hope? Hope between Pico and Venice. Wait a second here. Yeah. What's around there? There's a hospital. Oh. And. Oh, are you near? What's the good club over there? The. Like the Egyptian-looking thing. The, the Mayan. Mayan. It's not far from the Mayan, um, but it's closer to Staples. Okay. So, All and, right. And so this is 2007. Um, so it was pre-LA Live. Yeah. Staples was there, but nothing else was there. Huh. The, the Palm restaurant was there, and I say Ooh. that because I ended up working there because it was just the closest establishment. Yeah, to my house. Were famous people going in there? All the time. It's where I learned about famous people and how to interact with them at hostessing at the Palm. Okay. So we met um, also in downtown. Yes. At the LA Times building. Yes. When you were working for Metro Mix. Yes. Had you worked for the Weekly first? Is that how you got that job? No, I got that job. Um, I'd gone to journalism school and then I came to LA and was just working at the Palm and saw, you know, read Metro Mix Mm-hmm. And sent, I was thinking about her earlier today because she gave me my break. Alexandra Letelier sent her. Shout out. Shout out. Legend. Angel. Well, truly an angel yes. of my life. She changed my life because I sent, you know, a cold email to, I don't even, it could have been like, you know, contact at metromix.com <laughs> and just said like, hey, I'm here. Like I, I have a degree in journalism and you should let me write about, you know, things happening in the city. <laughs> And I remember she wrote back, and I have no idea what I wrote, but I remember she wrote back, well, that's really the way to get the attention of an editor. And she said, we actually do have a position. Um, Do you want to come in and interview? And obviously I did. It was her and Deborah Vankin. Mm -hmm. And Another great person. Another great person. Still at the LA Times legend of my life as well i yep. remember it was the issue russell crowe was on the not russell crowe what's the other one uh the british one with uh the actor named russell oh russell brand russell brand Ooh. was on the cover and i had obviously read the cover and i said something of like oh yeah the story about him is great it's really digestible and deborah vankin was like digestible that's a really good word for it and I don't remember the rest of the interview, but I think Alexandra emailed me, you know, in the next few days saying that I had gotten the job. Well, those two ladies built a hell of a team. Yeah, it was all star. And you guys' office was small. Yes. Where you guys were, I, there was two offices technically. Yes, that's right. One across the hall from each other. Mm-hmm. And the one that you were in, absolute all stars. Let's just talk about... The ladies of Metro Mix. <laughs> All right, run sorry, them down. Scott Sterling. Run them down. Let's go. We've got Allie Miller, of course, my best friend. Uh, Sarah Ardelani. Yeah, legend. Krista Simmons. Oh my God, Krista Simmons was there. Yes. Uh, Allie Ward. Allie Ward. Yeah. Who has like one of the top podcasts of all time right yes. now? Jesse Rubin. Totally. I mean, just those ladies alone. Like you could, you could start. A whole magazine just with 
them and Deb and you and um, uh, uh, Alex. Alex. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I didn't know at the time how lucky I was just to be. I mean, it was my first job in journalism yeah. ever. And I landed at the LA Times. I remember walking in the Globe lobby the first morning yeah. and being like, okay, you know. This is for real. Yeah. And that's something you can't fake that Globe lobby. No, it's the real thing. It is grand. And so, of the dudes, you also have uh, Scott Sterling. Scott Sterling, who, who doesn't time. love? Yeah. Chris Barton. Chris Barton, yes. And uh, who's the guy with the blonde hair from like Alabama? George. <laughs> George. Yes. What's it? George Ducker. Yes. Yeah, great guy. Okay, so these are ten people. All of them great. Yes. You could send any of them anywhere and they'd come back with a great article. Absolutely. On time, no drama, <laughs> right? Clean copy. When when Metromix was downsized and Krista had to take over basically by herself and I think maybe two people, I think Alex, Alex was also there. Yeah. She ran it no problem. I mean, I'm sure there was problems. Beautifully. But, but she made it seem like... Sure. No big whoop. Yeah, I remember. I mean, maybe it wasn't the first day, but within the first few days of me starting... And the position was only part-time. I was going in like three days a week. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so I was still at the Palm, for sure. But the LA Times declared bankruptcy on my like first or second day. <laughs> we all had to go into the auditorium, and they told us, like, we don't have any money. And I think that there was a, I want to say, two-month period. Maybe it felt that long because, like, I I was broke at the time. But mm-hmm. um, where we didn't get paid. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Yeah, we were waiting on our paychecks. Um, wow. But I don't think, I mean, I don't recall anyone not coming in because of it. No, you, you guys were there day and night. Yeah. I mean, but it was fun. It was fun. And there was that, what, great bar, the Redwood, the Redwood that yeah. we would go to after. And Lasita was great. Lasita was great. But but I, I guess I just want to bring back home that this was a publication that I think Tribune created in Chicago, a way to get young people to read their dad's newspaper. Right. And you guys were pumping in life to <laughs> the LA Times and you're the first people to get cut and you don't even get paid for a little while. Yeah. Like, thanks a lot, Dad. Yeah, thanks, Dad. I'll just be out here writing this club review, Dad. Right. For no money. No, but it was, um, I mean, in retrospect, like, yeah, that's that's kind of fucked up, but to me it was so exciting that it What was your favorite matter. story that you wrote at Metro Max? At Metro Max. Oh, man. Do you have one? I just remember I wrote a club a club review. It was it, the Coenga Corridor, um, and it was called Eco. And the this was you know back in the day the theme of the club was like environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember what components that included, but I remember filing it. And then we had a meeting, you know, the next day or two days later, and Alexandra saying like. Yeah, Katie's story came in. It's fantastic. And so I just remember feeling, you know, good about what I had done. Um, I don't know if it was an excellent story. I'm sure in retrospect, like, it wasn't, I could do better now, I hope. But I remember feeling like, okay, I, yeah, because I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. Mm. And so I felt like, okay, like, I belong here. I can do what these other people are doing. Um, And I was also really new to town, essentially, at the time. So... Um, I just remember like sitting in those meetings being like, these people are so tapped in. So if I just do what they say in terms of the events and things to do, like I will know this city and I will be able to speak this language eventually mm-hmm. myself. I mean, among the list that we just talked about, if I was new into town, I'd feel super intimidated too. I, yeah. I not was, because they're intimidating people. Not at all. Everyone was super friendly. Um, But it was just like... Yeah, it just leveled up. Yeah. Kind of accidentally. Like St- Scott Sterling gets a call, hey, go talk to Prince. I will never forget <laughs> going in the the morning after he had been at Prince's house. And I feel like I went in early for some reason. And Scott was there. And I didn't know what he had been doing, but I was like, hey, why are you here so early? And he's like, I just came from Prince's house. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, that can happen? And he wrote like an incredible story about 
you know, performance, Prince's performance at, in his living room or whatever. In the Hollywood Hills. In the Hollywood Hills. That's another reason I can't move back. Sure. You know? Sure. Because anything can happen. For example, you interviewed Mr. Lenny Kravitz. I did do that. And he had his shirt off the whole time. That I don't recall. <laughs> You're, you only looked at his eyes, his beautiful eyes. <laughs> I kept it right above the neck. He was definitely wearing a shirt. I think it was unbuttoned. Not in my mind, he's Pretty not. low. I mean, it was like, I, I remember it was a velvet shirt and it was unbuttoned, but it was, you know, it was on, <laughs> present on his body. Is he the sexiest, most incredible? Is he what we think he is? Yes. Yes. <laughs> he is more. <laughs> no, he is. He is. He's a rock star. He's like real, you know, like I feel like he's sort of at the tail end of the rock star generation. Like he's one of the last of like the real ones. Mm -hmm. um, but he is definitely a real rock star. When you play a flying V, non-sarcastically, sure. you're a rock star. And you pull it off. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, of course. Whipping the braids around. Yeah. He, he was, and he was really kind mm -hmm. and really, um, I remember he was staying at this this spot. I was actually told not to disclose the location when oh. I got there. It was like we can't we can't tell anybody where he was. I'll say it was in Malibu. Okay. And um, beautiful spot. And I get there and I you know it's a long drive, so I have to go to the bathroom. Hmm. And so I was like, hey, like Mr. Kravitz, like, can I use your bathroom before we start? And he like you know shows me where it is. And I went in and there was a beautiful Louis Vuitton. Uh, you know, like a like a toiletry box, wow. like a trunk, a small trunk, and you know, I was like just looking at it, but the the mirror was cracked, and I was like, oh, like Lenny Kravitz is a real, he's a human too. <laughs> he's got the Louis Vuitton box, but like something happened along the way, so that's just a very vivid memory of this little cracked mirror. Ozzy Osbourne's wife Sharon would ask, mm. did he smell nice? I. You don't I'm, remember. I'm sure he did. Yes. I don't remember a particular scent, but like, yes, of course. Uh, I you you might notice I'm constantly looking at my microphone to make sure it's working. There's batteries, the memory card, all that. Were you terrified in this interview that it might that it might not record? That he might not like you? That equipment failure? <sighs> like, I would be so nervous interviewing. I'm nervous interviewing you, Katie. <laughs> Because I think I think very highly of you. Do I smell nice? You smell fantastic. Thank you. Um, I would I, with really big interviews. I use two recorders. Um, <gasps> Great idea. Just in case. <gasps> and then as soon as I'm done, I immediately upload it to my computer, so I have it in like three spots. Um, was I nervous? Yeah, I was super nervous. I think I was nervous that like you know it's always like. Are my questions good enough? Am I going to be able to sort of shepherd this conversation? Not only in a way that is like interesting and, uh, you know, sparks something in him, but am I going to also get the story I need? Mm -hmm. And that's the interesting thing about interviewing is that I feel like there are two things happening at once where you're, and I'm sure you're doing it right now. Like you're in conversation with the person, but you're also in your head being like, okay, but we need to go back to this. And then next we can go here. And he said that. So I'm going to say that like, and it's just this kind of dance. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, I was nervous, but my rule with anybody is just to, you know, treat them as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I th also think that that's important because if you, I feel like if I am clearly intimidated by somebody, the interview is not going to be as good. You kind of have to, even if you don't feel that way, even if it's like Lenny Kravitz, you have to go in as an equal. Right. And you, they're not, they're not putting out a vibe that they like you and yeah. they're giving one word answers. And, uh, I have two stories. Oh, I can give you two stories. Um, the first was Coachella 2011, I want to say. You were incredible with these numbers. I have a, I have a mind for dates. Good for you. Thank you. Um, and so I get you know, an email, I guess, or some sort of alert of, hey, uh, Florence and the Machine is ready for the interview. And I'm like, I did not set up an interview with Florence and the Machine. <sighs> But I'll go do it. Um, I can use that. And so I'm, you know, <laughs> trucking across the field, you know, putting questions together in my head. And I get there and they take me back to the trailer. 
Mm-hmm. And they open the door and it's justice. It is not Florence and the Machine. It is the French electronic legends justice. And I should have said, hey, uh, I didn't, I, I'm in the wrong spot. I shouldn't be here at all. <laughs> but instead I was like, all right. And so I sit down and try to conduct an interview with zero preparation and totally <laughs> fall on my face. And I have no idea where this recording is, but I would, I would, I would pay to bury it because I'm sure it's awful. They were not into it. Really? No. Did you know his record? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I know their music, and I'm a big fan of theirs. Yeah. But I just, I wasn't ready. And so I think I was asking questions that just weren't quite for them. Mm. And, um, you know, they're... Is, is, they're, this for, they're is, is this for the LA Times or for Billboard? This is for Huffington Post. Huff? HuffPo. HuffPo back in the day. Uh-huh. Um, so that was tough. And they weren't... They weren't acutely rude or anything, but they're French, you know, and they're they're like two of the coolest people on the planet. And so I walked out just being, you know, like, like nauseous. Um, and then the second bad interview I did, I'm not going to name names, but it was a DJ Ooh. and it was for a, like a bigger story. And uh, I went to do the interview and he wanted to do it sitting at a table with like a bunch of his staff, which is an awkward thing to do anyways Yep. in front of other people. Mm-hmm. And so that immediately kind of was a challenge. And then he wouldn't make eye contact like the whole, like almost the whole time. Wow. He like didn't look at me and I would say 10, 15 minutes into the interview, which is set to be an hour. He looks up at his staff and he goes, is this interview super boring to you guys? And I was like, Oh, you know, it's, it's just like a Dagger, dagger. And so, I mean, it just like progressively got worse because of course then I'm like sick on the inside and I'm trying to, you know, hold my own. And we we got there, like we got what we needed eventually, but it wasn't pleasant. Yeah. See, this is where the city of Chicago would have come out on me. What would you have done? I want to go the nice path. Sure. When things get mean. Sure. I always go into the dark side. What does that look like? Okay, fucker. I wish I could do that. <laughs> I wish I had more of that. You're, you're a DJ. You've seen it all. You're bored of this. Let's let's be real. Well, First of all, everybody shirts off. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I honestly like I. I think I need more of what you have, and maybe no. you know you need more. Of what this I is need. why I'm unemployed. Sure. Well. <laughs> sure. Let's let's go to a, a funner place. Okay. You invented something, Katie Bain. What was in that? the journalistic world? Tell me. In the DJ journalistic festival world, interviewing DJs in the back of a golf cart. <laughs> I I yeah. I mean, I didn't come up with the concept. My my good friend Rob did, who I worked with at the time. But I was there for it. I was on the back of that cart. And so okay. I'll paint the picture for the, the good people. Anybody who's gone to these festivals, Bonnaroo, Coachella, whatever, it's a vast area. Huge. And talent always gets golf carts. Yes. Too far they need, to. They need a ride. Yeah, they do. They're going to walk nice. through GA to get there. Well, they'll never, they'd never get there. You're not going to have Calvin Harris like <laughs> swinging through the porta potties. You would need a Kanye mask to, uh, to make it through. Yes. And so you guys decided, well, they're using golf carts anyhow. Katie may as well be on the back of it, which which looks out away from the steering wheel, I guess. Yes. You're, you're yeah, kind so the, of. The, so the camera is, I'm in the back seat with the DJ and the camera is fastened looking at us. So you're seeing the, you know, behind us, you're seeing the event. It's it's so cute. And you're, you're back there and you've got your, you always dress professionally too, by the way. <laughs> And Thank I appreciate you. that. Thank well, you. Well, I mean, because 
I mean, we've seen other, I don't want to say rave journalists, but you know, in the dance scene, they look like, they look like the attendees. You look like a journalist. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, like I was saying before, I mean, and I guess like you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but, um, to get a good interview, it's important to go in and like engender respect. And so for me, you know, dressing in a certain way has kind of been helpful with that. So you're, you're back there, um, on the back of this cart and you interview these DJs and the other genius part about this is it's always nice to have a deadline. So you know we're going from point A to sure. point B. We've got five minutes. We got it. Knock it out. Yep. So you get three questions, maybe four. Well, I think we would always come up with a set of ten. Right. Um, and then if it was a longer drive, uh, you know, or if it was a bigger DJ that you know only had a few minutes, we would zip them right over. But sometimes it would be like we don't need to be there yet, so we would kind of do like leisurely laps and drives through, and you know we're like aimlessly backstage driving around the festival but i also get the, the the feeling that these people love this setup well i think they did because i think that the nature of the questions themselves um were often silly you know mm-hmm. and we're asking this the people the same 10 questions so it's not like hey tell me about your new album like it's not a standard interview it's mm-hmm. uh quicker and goofier than that um and I think that they, you know, these artists, many of them do a lot of interviews and it probably gets a little bit boring and this was just more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk a little about these raves of yours. <laughs> yeah, my raves. You want to talk about my raves? Cause I'm older than you and I'm definitely a rock and roller as opposed to a DJ yeah. dance person. Yeah. You and I have had this argument before. Not an argument. Okay. Okay. Um, and I and I really admire people like Scott Sterling who are able to be fluid sure. musically. Sure. Um, because I'm sure there is something there that I would appreciate. I feel like it's it's less about the songs in particular at these places, uh, like EDC, for example. Yeah. Than it is the overall vibe and the scene. Back to going to football games just to have well, a good time with the Well, I was going to say, which is crowd. why you would love it. You go to Cubs games just to be in the atmosphere. And just to talk to people and all that kind of thing. And you are so personable. Like, you would, I think, love just walking around, seeing the costumes and the signs and yes. just, like, the, you know, whimsical shit that people do. Like, yes. I think you'd get a kick out of it. I would love to dress up as weird characters. Yeah. Because I do appreciate people who do hallucinogens, even though I don't do them anymore. Sure. And I want to stoke those people. Sure. So, like, I would like to be, like, a a trippy, like, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Where you could just feel how soft my fucking... (laughs) You want everyone touching? Yeah. Okay, great. Why not? Yeah. But, like, have, like, like, some cool, like hypnotic glasses on too and like a beret or something you know like like a crazy ass like a snoop dog winnie the pooh sure you know but like be and i guess that's one thing that is missing from rock and roll shows is they wouldn't even let you in the gate with that i would say rock and roll which of course i deeply love is perhaps a less whimsical uh, uh genre isn't that weird well, I mean, that's the thing with with the dance and electronic world. Like, it was designed as an escape. It was designed as a hedonistic voyage. It was designed f- as a safe space for, you know, groups of people that weren't accepted by larger society or, like, faced challenges there. Um, and so, yeah, like, it's, it, it, it's structurally created so you can go there in a Winnie the Pooh costume and have a good time like that's that's part of the part of the blueprint but because you are an expert of music and especially dance music you do know the music that's being played yes I do most of the time not all the time but a lot of the time okay let's let's talk specifically you took your mom to a rave the other day (laughs) the other day yeah last month we went to Electric Forest in Michigan yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like your mom had a great time. She had an absolute blast. And she was not on ecstasy, I imagine? She was not on ecstasy. She had like a beer. Oh, really? Yeah. She she doesn't get drunk? Not really. Huh. Um, 
I mean, like, you know, we had a few drinks, but we certainly weren't drunk. Did you mention your mom's age in this piece? Yeah, she's 64. Okay. Yeah. Were there any other 60-year-olds attending? Well, that's kind of why I really wanted to take her to Electric Forest is because I had been three times before and it, it's really, I mean, it's a special festival in and of itself, but it's one that you see a really multi-generational crowd more so than you would at EDC or Ultra or any of the the other big fests. Mm-hmm. Um, there are children there. Really? Yeah, for sure. There were people that were there that are older than my mom. Um, it's huh. and I want. I don't want to say it's all ages. Like that, there are uh, equal amounts of those demographics. But it's definitely like both sides of the spectrum have a presence. So it's kind of like the gathering of the juggalos. Also in Michigan. Sure. <laughs> I can't speak to that. Uh, <laughs> What? Billboard hasn't covered this? You know who covered Gathering in the Juggalos a lot was LA Weekly. Yeah, it just had like a fascination with it. And we did a lot of Gathering of the Juggalos content, but I have not been myself. Okay. Bucket list. Maybe. Take mom to that too. Maybe. (laughs) Take take your mom. Let's, let's all our moms go. Road I mean, trip. isn't the theme there? Family, family. You know, I'm, but like the the thing, and I know that I'm like making fun of gathering on the juggalos. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's the same feeling. Like we all get the same feeling from it. Yeah. And that's like, you know, it's, you're talking about how you're not into electronic music and uh, what, which is fine. But like, I think, and there are certain artists that I don't like, or I think they're cheesy or I have like my mm. judgments on, but I know that at the end of the day, like, it's all making us feel the same thing. And I have absolute respect for that because yeah. that feeling is really important. Um, the electric uh, uh, current forest. forest. Yes. Electric forest. Yes. God, do I sound like an old man. It's okay. This, this dancing people do. <laughs> Three days? I think technically five. <gasps> I think you can go in on Wednesday. Or first thing Thursday. So, and we went, thir- we went Thursday. So we were there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, left very early Sunday morning. But people stay until Monday. Do you camp out there? Yes. It's a camping fest. Is your mama a good camper? She's the ultimate camper. Yes. She, like, outside of this, she enjoys camping? Yeah. Big time. We camp- oh. we, we've camped a lot as a family. Wow. Okay. So, still... I think I might be bored three days in the woods. Do you never get bored at these festivals? Well, there's definitely downtime. You know, there's time where you hang out at the campsite or take a nap. Um, and, you know, by like Saturday, it's it's crazy how like you can be in an environment like that that's like fantastical and designed to like stimulate every sense. And by Saturday, it's totally like commonplace and not rote. You know, it's still delightful, but you're like, okay, you know, like there's the guy on the stilts for the fucking thing, whatever. <laughs> but um, I don't know that it's boredom. I think I, I'm I'm happy to be there. You're the right person for the job is what you're saying. Yeah. It's not boring for you. Yeah. And like, you know, there is the factor of like, I'm getting older. So some of these festivals, like, they don't really feel like they're for me anymore. Really? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And you know, that's, that's just my own thing. But, um, electric forest I knew was going to be cool because it does have like the multi-generational thing. Do you have that feeling when you go to Coachella these days? I've had that for sure. Hmm. Yeah. I, and I, and I say that with a grain of salt because it definitely skews young. It's, it's a very different crowd than, electric forest Mm -hmm. but all every time every year and i i love coachella but i get there on friday and i'm like a little crabby Mm -hmm. you know it's taken a while to get in i'm probably tired you know i probably Mm -hmm. like need to eat something and like i have this like whatever like coachella whatever i'm never coming back here and then by then by sunday night i'm having the time of my fucking life every time Every time. Good. So it's just a, uh, I don't know, an enmeshment or something process. Uh, I, I've i heard you talk about how much you love the electric forest mm-hmm. because of the vibe of that space. Yeah. 
I feel that Coachella has a magical space it too. It absolutely does. That is one of the great things about Coachella is that it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful festival, like the mountains and the palm trees and the lights and like the desert, like warm wind when the yeah. temperature is just right. Like it is a magical space. And without being too woo woo, I feel like it's always probably felt this way to people. If if so, if somehow they were able to have shade and water, sure, and they could like physically enjoy it. They probably felt the same different vibe that we do. Like that land itself, you mean? Like people that were there long before Coachella? Yes. For sure. I mean, it's it's a beautiful environment. And I think those are my favorite festivals. Electric Forest, uh, Burning Man. I went to a beautiful festival in in Marrakesh a few years ago where it's like when when you're in nature and it's it's gorgeous. It's obviously it's better than being in a parking lot. Not that I haven't had great times in a parking lot, <laughs> but like that brings it up to a whole other level. I'm extremely lucky. And yeah, like I got to go to Marrakesh for work <laughs> on a trip that also involved Ibiza and Israel. Like it was nuts. Okay, Ibiza. Yeah. Is it like what we think it is? <sighs> uh, okay, well. Because I'll tell you what I think it is. Tell me, yeah. Just Euro Valhalla. Yeah, like, that, that's what it is. Handsome guys with incredible bodies and Speedos. And like the most beautiful women you've ever seen in your life. Fine. But yes. I mean, I'm as straight as it can be. But I really think about these handsome Euro guys <laughs> what first. Do you, what do you think? of? Why do you think of them? Because I don't, I don't see that here hmm. when I go to events. Sure. Obviously, we see the pretty girls. Sure. But you see just a lot of bros. And if you see a guy like that, he's probably a frat boy. And as soon as he opens his mouth, you're like, okay, whatever, Chad. But Well, we can't speak to them because they speak different languages. So they they could just be the bros of Europe. Which is even better, though, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> no, like if they're like, oh, I do not speak English. Pretty Katie Bain. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> maybe maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> but uh, not now. Not now. Um, But Ibiza, yeah, I mean, like the, those guys are definitely there. The women are definitely there. I mean, it's Ibiza is also beautiful. It's one of those beautiful natural environments that we're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. and especially the interior of the island where like the smaller villages are. Like, mm. it's it's actually quite rural. Like, there's a lot of farmland in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, in the north part, I was there. I was there in in May, so I have wow. some some recent history there. Um, it's it's completely dedicated to club culture. Like that's the economy. And so it's fascinating and it's so much fun. And it's, it's like Vegas in a way where it's, it's all designed for your pleasure and enjoyment. Wow. Yeah. industry at this point know who you are and your position at billboard well and i don't mean this in a in a this is how i mean it do you get hit up by these people when they do recognize you hit up like how do you mean i've got a dj i want you to know about or i am a dj and i've got this this thumb drive i don't even know how people would give you music these days here's my instagram yeah well yes (laughs) yes you get hit up left and right i get hit up quite a lot um and that's like you know that's other people doing their jobs too like mm-hmm. there's a lot of publicists out there hustling every day to get artists space anywhere which is becoming like an increasingly harder job um but yeah i would say like i get hit out uh, quite a lot like i get texts at weird hours i get calls at weird hours i get weird- really they don't even few and far between but it, it it's happened but as you're okay there's a picture that i'm going to use in the blog post of you at, on a rave cruise. Oh God! Actually, you're not even on the cruise. You're 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 just waiting in the in the the sand. You're 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 oh, wandering that off. Photo. Out of- that was Holy Ship, 2013 or 14. I know exactly what you're talking about. What a memory you have. That's just how it works. Okay. Um, and again, dressed very professional. Thank you. But also casual. Thank you. Maybe jean shorts and like a, a flowery I blouse. I exactly what it was. 
it was a Stetson hat that I'd gotten at a rummage sale. It's a brown Stetson hat <laughs> and these like little shorts, but I had a swimsuit cover up. Mm-hmm. I have it in my room over there. Mm-hmm. It's purple and green and I had gotten it. Oh my God. Okay, like, can we do, like, a little tangent story? Sure, yeah. Okay, so I was driving home when I lived in Silver Lake. I was driving home one day, and I saw a rummage sale sign. So, of course, I, like, pull over immediately. I love rummage sales. And these two men are packing it up. Like, the rummage sale is ending. And I'm poking around in the garage, and they're like, actually, like, the the woman whose stuff we're selling, she passed away, but she was about your size, and she had fantastic style. And so I was like, bring it on. And so they brought out all of these boxes that they were just going to bring to goodwill of just like beautiful, Mm. beautiful items. And they gave them to me. This woman's name was Jill. She was a dancer on cruise ships. Wow. She, they showed me photos. She was fabulous. One of the guys ended up running to like the gas station to buy three Smirnoff ices so we could toast to Jill. And that's whose swimsuit cover up I'm wearing in that photo. Yeah. Right on. uh, Shout out Jill. Shout out Jill. Yeah. Um, okay. So in this in this picture that I have emblazoned in my mind, yes. because this is goals. This is work goals, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're at Holy Ship. Perfect name. <laughs> is this Golden Voice AEG who did that? This was Gary Richards' party. Um, who he founded Hard Events. Okay. It's like you know Hard it, Summer. I, it, but it wasn't. It maybe was Live Nation or just prior to being Live okay. Nation. I. Uh, so you're in this cruise. Yes. There's DJs. There's dancing. It's a party. Yes. Nobody's telling you guys to turn it down. No. You, you I hope, feel safe on this ship. 100%. Because it's not cheap to get on this boat if you're not a journalist. It's not cheap. No. It's, well, you have to buy the flight and you have to buy the cabin. It's crazy. And a ticket. Yeah. And then they drop you off on the on other islands or ports? Yeah. I think we got in at uh, Fort Lauderdale for that one and then uh, shipped to the Bahamas. And we had an afternoon in the Bahamas, like a beach party. Where there's another setup of music playing, yeah, dancing. Yeah, so they like ferry you, you know, one of those smaller boats. And they take us to the island. And there's a stage set up there that people had, you know, arrived earlier in the Crazy. day and put up. And yeah, there's like a whole big party. So it's kind of like what the Firefest should have been if it wasn't a scam. In a way, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So here's my point. So here Katie comes out of the surf with, <laughs> with her Stetson. If I'm a DJ and I recognize you, I'm hitting you up right there. Does My question is, does that happen to you as you are at these events? I would say that the DJs don't hit me up. Good. Uh, no. Their publicists hit me up. Um, and sometimes they do it on site. Like I was at a party this past Saturday with Allie Miller, our favorite. And, you know, there was a publicist that happened to be there. She was like, oh, hey, like, oh, nice to see you. And also I have this thing. And that's doing business. You know, you don't take it the wrong way. Well, what would be the wrong way? I'm high and drunk, lady. Leave me alone. <laughs> Can't you see I'm with my friend? I think I was like shoving a chicken sandwich in my mouth. It's <laughs> what was happening. Um, you know, it, it, this is a very L.A. specific thing where like that's kind of social life here. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a double edged sword for sure. Um business and pleasure mix very significantly and it's just I've accepted that that's part of the job perfect attitude thank you perfect I mean, attitude it's not that I don't get annoyed sometimes but like it's part of the job have you ever gotten really good leads from these people oh of course okay good yeah 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 of course good I mean, in like there are so many wonderful publicists who are like really on it and pitch fantastic stories and great ideas and are really well connected and have great tastes and well now that you mention it when I was at LAist I would get hit up by stuff and people taught me about bands that are, are some of my favorite oh bands my God. now I learned so much I mean they they send me the goods every day you know like my inbox is full of new music events invite it's like it's it's pretty great I'm going to embarrass you for a second here. Okay. Uh, Allie invited both of us to see um, a rock and roll band 
on the West Side a number of years ago. Okay. And it was a private party. I'm not going to reveal the name of the band because this is what happened right in front of us. Katie Bain, even for fun, doesn't dress provocatively. I remember I was wearing a, a t-shirt and jeans. And your hair was back. Yeah, I'd come from work. And the lead guitar player of the band weeds his way through the entire crowd to you. It was so funny because I was like, it was kind of like right after the show ended. And, you know, we're like sitting there having our little chit chat between us. And then all of a sudden he's like just to my left. And it was like, whoa, like, whoa. (laughs) Very handsome man. Yeah. Incredibly successful. Yes. Incredibly successful. Because he's been in that band since the beginning. Yes. And And that band has been around since. For a while. A long time. And so my question is, does this happen to you all the time? Well, here's what I've heard about that person. Oh. Is that he's that guy. You knew this before that? I didn't know before, but then someone I spoke with uh, said that that's that's kind of his thing. I mean, that's why you practice. Well, right. You practice for the money or the ladies. Or both. And he's got both, apparently. That's right. Like, I mean, that must work for him. But Okay. And by the way. Excellent deflection. Thank you. No, it doesn't happen. He, he made a beeline to you. Yeah. I mean, sh- sure. Like, that's, I don't know, flattering, I guess. But I would say that's not a common occurrence in my it's life. Not. No, the rock stars don't come get down from the stage. <laughs> Didn't uh, Mr. Jack White approach you backstage? No. I'll tell you who he approached. And it was Allie. And that's her story. And I don't know that she wants me to tell it, but I was, I witnessed it and it was incredible. Similar to this uh, uh, other fellow, he just goes straight for her. We were walking across the room and Jack White happened to be standing in the middle of it. And he said hello to Allie, but I don't think that she even like registered that he was trying to talk to her. So she just kept walking. (gasps) And, you know, then we were both like, you know, spent the rest of the night trying to figure out what to do. Scorpios, man. Is he a Scorpio too? She is. Oh yeah. Tough nut to crack. They're so cool. There's, she's the coolest person in the world. Okay. So what I saw was rare is what you're trying to convince me of. Yes. Okay. Let's, uh, let me ask you about new music because I feel bad for the kids today. Yeah. When, when I was a kid, I turned on Channel 37 and there was MTV. Sure. And downtown Julie Brown would teach me about the music that you were writing about. Yes. Um, uh, the rock guy would tell me about heavy metal, the alternative people. It was so easy. Yeah. You sat there. Uh, Yo MTV Raps taught me all about rap. Right. Like all the music that I love from that era is directly from MTV. Sure. And they kind of helped program radio stations around the country. And it was very easy to learn. You just watch TV. Yes. Today, I feel like regular radio is terrible. And even the stations that used to be good, like K-Rock, are just playing what they played 20 years ago. Sure. And I think hmm. maybe because young people don't listen to FM anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a good topic you bring up because I feel as befuddled as you do. I mean, I think it's a lot of TikTok, um, which so when I was in Ibiza, it was for a conference and Lior Cohen was speaking and he said, I feel bad for the kids today because they're learning about music through, you know, 15, 30 second snippets. And that's not really how you soundtrack your life. And that's not how you kind of create. I'm elaborating off of what he said, but create memories and find music that's really like soulfully resonant mm-hmm. um and i i feel that and i'm sure it is to them you know like it's it's just how they're doing it and they don't know any different but yeah um there's so many different avenues to find music now mm-hmm. and sometimes i feel like i don't even know where to i mean like i i work at billboard so i have the luxury of having it just be presented to me but if if I didn't have that, I think you probably just have to pick a few sources that you trust and mm-hmm. stay with that because it's also just overwhelming. Well, but but back to Billboard, I feel like in a way you guys are influencers through your charts. And so if 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 
if I was forced to actually do a proper interview with somebody like you, yeah, I would. The first thing I would do is go to your charts. Oh yeah, of course. And see what's popular today. Yeah, and maybe turn the page back a few years and see what was popular a few years. And I love looking at those charts. I was looking at the charts yesterday to see where Hanson's middle of nowhere peaked. And it was a weird thing because it was like I looked yesterday morning and it was, yesterday was actually the anniversary of its of its peak position. Mm. But my point is that there's just like, it's so fun because it's so nostalgic to go to 97, 96, whenever. And like, it's it's all stuff that you love. So like whatever is in the... Hot 100, the Billboard 200 now that like maybe we don't recognize. Like I'm sure. I mean, obviously, statistically, there are many people out there loving it. Yeah. Um. So, how do you, how do you discover the new music then? Is it mostly publicists that are just in your ear all the time? Yeah. I mean, I I have the privilege of having to listen to new music for work, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I you know is a project unto itself that I usually spend like Tuesdays or Wednesdays doing. Um, because we do our new music roundup on Friday. Oh. And so, yeah, I discover a lot of new music that way. Um, and just then compiling it into playlists and then just being at festivals. Like, honestly, festivals to me, I've discovered probably most of the music that I love, just like catching a set or someone bringing me to one and like falling in love that way. And that to me is like really uh, the connection because at an event, you have an experience with it. Uh, Rainy Becker who dances at Booty LA. Okay. Uh, she was uh, she was an LA Times person for a little while. Yeah, I know the name. Um, beautiful woman who loves to dance has a question for you. Oh, my God. She asked on our Facebook group, which is, um, I think, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash here in LA. Okay. What is your favorite era of dance music or your favorite year, if you can pin it down to one what? year? such a good question does this uh does it have to be a year i've experienced or like if i could experience time travel if you say 66 that's fine well that's early um okay i want to say like personally i really got i would say like fully into this world in 2010 9 10 11 and it was very West Coast. It was very like glitch hop and bass music. Uh, you know, Pretty Lights, Mimosa was a great producer. He still is. Um, and so if if I had my own sweet spot, it's then. It's going to Lightning in a Bottle for the first time. It's being at these crazy parties in Big Sur, you know, on these cliffs like that to me burning man for the first time um i love just like heavy bass music and that's when i first really got into it um if i could go anywhere anytime any place i think i would go to like uk 90s uk like early rave scene mm-hmm. um you know like if you read generation ecstasy like i would go then um because it was like so fed by like the UK underground culture, but it was also being influenced by Ibiza and people were just like partying their fucking faces off. They're going to the Hacienda. Like it just, it, it sounds like true magic, mm-hmm. you know, for everyone who's there and like culturally such an important moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I love that sound. And, and I also feel like it was one of the last times where drugs were cheap. Drugs meaning ecstasy was cheap sure. and pure. Yeah. Which Mary Carry On, your friend who educated us last year, taught yes. us um, it's not like that any longer. No, drugs are really, really, really scary now, and you have to be really careful. And you have to test them. Yes. Are, is dance safe all over the country to the festivals that you go to, or is that just a California thing? Um, they are a national organization. Mm-hmm. They're not at every festival uh, that I go to. They're not always allowed at events oh. because... Um, there's an implication there that if you have people there that are educating people about drugs, that drugs are present and that makes a show harder to insure. Oh. Yeah. Um, Insurance companies. Yeah. It's, Is, isn't it worse to have 10 kids OD? It's much worse. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a mutation or like a perversion of the war on drugs. Yeah. Um, we ran a great story about this 
two weeks ago, actually, just like the rise of the Rave Act during the late 90s, introduced by then Senator Joe Biden, just uh, really, you know, cracking down on rave culture, you know, considering it sort of a nexus for drug use, mm-hmm. um, you know, which which it was and can be. But the legislation didn't make it safer. It actually made it more dangerous. And you still see effects of that now. Um, mm-hmm. Although, you know, I've been to festivals in Canada where they actually test your drugs on site. Yeah, it it's incredible. It's called Shambhala. And it's like a government subsidized program and people bring their stuff in and then they have a big screen TV outside the tent and they say like, we have this with this and if you have this, it's adulterated and this has fentanyl in it and be careful and um, really incredible. Which province of uh, Canada was this? In BC. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So smart. So smart. So progressive and just, you know, realistic. And by the way, Mr. President, Mm. what music genre didn't go hand in hand with drugs or alcohol? Like even even the jazz. I'm sure I think choral music. I don't you know. (laughs) Right. But they were wine drinkers. Right. Yeah. Popular music and getting fucked up go hand in hand. That's part of the deal. Indeed. And I'm sorry, but get over it, man. Well, make make people safer. Let's acknowledge reality and make people safer while they're doing it. You live closer to the Hollywood sign than to Franklin. Is that that street? What's that street? That's right Franklin, yeah. Okay. So you live pretty close up up, up the, the mountain. Yeah. It's amazing to see that sign every day. It is. Isn't it sweet? It's so sweet. It's like, it. you know, there, there are days that I don't see it at all, even though I'm staring right at it. Like, you know, you take it for granted. And then there are moments where it's like, holy shit, people travel here from all over the world to see that thing and to be here and to sort of like live this, you know, to, to go to Hollywood and see what happens. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And like I said before, it's exciting or not exciting, but endearing to see all the people coming to get their photos with it and just how much excitement it creates for people. The other day, the BET Awards lit it. Yeah. Were you here for that? I did not see it lit. Oh. No. Were you here when the Rams turned it into Rams House? Yeah, but didn't that look like terrible? The, I I saw it and I was like, I don't even know what that says. So even from here, you couldn't... No. Interesting. Yeah, no, it didn't look great. Because I interviewed some people from Griffith Park uh, at the observatory, and you couldn't tell there. No, I think I I had seen it online, so I knew what they were trying to do. But if I hadn't, I wouldn't have known. Uh, As somebody who's lived here for three years, is is Beachwood Canyon what you were hoping it would be when you first moved here? Yeah, it is. It's a, I always describe it as a little pocket. That you're in the heart of the city, you're in Hollywood, you take a left, you're in Los Feliz and Silver Lake, it's easy to get to the 101, it's right there, it's easy to get to the valley, North Hollywood, but like, this is the center, but it's extremely quiet, and it has almost a rural quality uh, with the coyotes and the owls you hear, and it just feels tucked away in a way that I really enjoy. Do you hike at all around here? All the time. This is one of the best hiking neighborhoods, low key. Not low key, everyone knows, but like <laughs> even beyond like Griffith and the Hollywood Hill, like the Hollywood sign hike, like you can walk around this neighborhood just to kind of peek at people's houses and see what they're doing in there and look at the architecture. There's so much great architecture in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You can hike up to the reservoir mm-hmm. um, and then walk around it. Like it's an incredible walking neighborhood. But you walk around the lake. Yeah. It's no big deal. It's no, I mean, it's, a de- it, if you, ha- it's going to take a little while, yeah. you know, if you have a few hours to walk up there and walk around and come back down. Um, but it's not a strenuous hike. It's just flat around. Uh, for 4th of July. Yes. Your neighbors light off a lot of fireworks up here. Cause I want to see fireworks with the Hollywood sign behind it. That's so funny. Cause I, I have never been here for the 4th of July in all the years that I've lived here. Well, all three. Because you're you're just jet setting with Jack Harlow. No, I'm in the valley. <laughs> I've been in the valley with my friends. 
Yeah, which is also incredible. If hot tip, if you're ever in the valley for the Fourth of July, like get up on some elevation, and then you get to see fireworks all across the valley floor from like Pacoima to North Hollywood. It's very cool. Katie Bain, thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. How great was Katie? You know who we'd party on the frozen tundra with? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, oh my God, yes, the native Angelinos are great, but so are the transplants when they're as cool as Katie. Thank you, Jordan and Tony. Here's way too much money. Keep doing this. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rollman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, and Robin Carey. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal us 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website or the Medium blog forever. You'll also be given a number to denote how early you got in. For example, Angelino number one is Katie Baines' BFF, Allie Miller. Number two, George Wright. Three is Rita Joanne. Four is Jason Sutter. Five is Grant Houghton. Six is Rob Baker, seven, Kev Chang, eight, Brenda Garcia, nine, John Griffiths. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you're saving up to trip balls at the Gathering of the Juggalos? No problem. You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Go crazy and post two. Tweet something nice about us. It's free. In fact, anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it. It doesn't hurt. One button, clicky, 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 clicky. And for God's sakes, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in LA is spelled and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify and even on Amazon now. Thanks, Bezos. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who would also look great in a trippy-ass Winnie the Pooh suit, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgon and Jordan Katz. Thanks for, thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and Alex and Deb for building such a fantastic team at Metro Mix of superstars who really were the young energy the LA Times needed back then. Test your powdery powdery substances. substances.